You're listening to Jazz 88, and I'm with Theo Croker, celebrated trumpet player, celebrated leader, who recently released the album Love Quantum, and he's taken some time out of his busy schedule to talk about his work and recommend some other artists as well. Theo, thank you so much for taking time to talk to Jazz 88. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm looking in the liner notes of your album as well as actually recorded on your album, but this poem put together by Jessica Care Moore uh, called Love Quantum. And the story is beautiful. It's it's cosmic. It's universal. It also seems uniquely black. And I'm curious, is this is this poem something that came to you with Jessica Caremore during the recording of the album, at the beginning of the album? Can you tell me a little bit about that piece in particular? Um, well, as far as timeline, it, it I, I came to her with the with the concept maybe when the album was like maybe sixty percent done, and I was like, you know. I really don't want liner notes. Uh, I really want a story, a story that 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 kind of is a you know, a narrative along with with the music. But I I wanted it to just influence her. So she was actually listening to the album on a SoundCloud link as I finished the last forty percent of it. And with all of my albums, there's last minute changes. There's last minute guest artist changes. There's a lot of last minute things that happen. <laughs> before the actual master is due <laughs> so she was a part of all that and every time something changed the narrative changed as well or or expanded or evolved so i just i wanted to i wanted to work with her in that capacity as a writer and really give her give her some inspiration to write to well certainly you did because the the poem enhances what's already on the album the delivery of the poem on the album is beautiful and the album in general just exudes this community effort, this collaborative effort, and this also, in many ways, really Afrocentric element of of jazz. And I'm, you know, I, I use the word jazz sparingly in my interview with you because I want to be respectful of the fact that there's a lot of ways in which you've been outspoken about the term jazz being limiting, maybe for for you as an artist. But I will mm-hmm. say, as a, a a comparative age mate to you, I'm about 41 years old. I came up in an era playing jazz where it felt so far from Afrocentric. It felt like that was something that was kind of not a part of the conversation as I was learning to play bass and play jazz bass in the 1990s. And that may may very be, well be, I grew up in rural Massachusetts, then moved to St. Paul, Minnesota. But I, 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 I find this new group of musicians that you're with to be connecting with artists like Gary Bartz and other artists who exuded a lot of um, African imagery, but also a lot of pro-black language in ways that mm-hmm. I found at least coming up kind of missing from the jazz world. W- what was your experience coming up in Florida and how is what you're doing now impacted by how you came up? Well, I mean, I, I, I come from a household where matters of, of uh, history and, and, and African-American history and, and politics, all those things were common conversations in our household from as far back as I remember being in the second grade when we drove, I grew up in Florida. We drove an hour and a half as a family to go see Spike Lee's Malcolm X biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember the effect that that had on me. You know, it's always, I was just, I was raised to understand that I live in a racist country and that, that I will not always be treated fairly or not always, always be accepted or that I have to work as hard or harder than, everybody else to get an opportunity and then to keep one and that things could be taken from me from me um 
just because. <laughs> so I grew up, I know I grew up knowing those things, uh, being taught how to maneuver those things long before I even fully understood what they were, which is when I started to become a young adult that I really started to understand religion and race like actually did matter. I was oblivious to it at the same time because um, because I was also raised in a household that was very multicultural and all of my parents' friends were of all nationalities and of all races and of all age groups. It, it wasn't it wasn't like a, one thing in our house. Um, but it was very important to both of my parents that we understood our 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 African American ancestry and what that meant for us, me and my brother, what that meant for us moving forward into the world. So it play it plays a huge part in all my albums because now I think especially with um with you know how much with how this has been brought to the center of the media and everything again um it's easier for me to talk about it and include it it's not something that you know in the past it's always just been present but i don't talk about it but now i feel like it's okay to talk about it <laughs> you know i'm not an angry black man for talking about it i'm simply an artist now who, who's allowed to talk about it well, I'll tell you, uh, I wish people were always allowed to talk about it, but I'm glad that you are talking about it and, 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 and it coming across in, in your music and in your work. Now, it seems like there's some kind of friction with with the, the language of jazz is dead. There's something about, and I don't want to harp on this because, frankly, I just want to celebrate your fantastic work. But um, it, at the front of it, you're, you're talking about the ways that, that jazz can be, the term jazz can be limiting um, and perhaps mm-hmm. could be pigeonholing. As an artist who who seems to really be comfortable collaborating across genres, um, what do you find limiting about the jazz label, or, or what has you sort of saying jazz is dead in this way? Um, it really, you know, I've never liked the word, but I've never said anything. And 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 what I found is during the pandemic, when I was trying to evolve my career beyond what jazz has to offer because I felt like the music I was creating deserved more than that. I found a lot of closed doors, a lot of closed ears, a lot of, um, a lot of, especially in the industry, once the word jazz would come up or be used to describe me, it would automatically pigeonhole me with the people I would, I'd be talking to, whether it be an agent, whether it be a promoter, Mm. as soon as jazz come up, they'd be like, Oh, well, you know, you should go play at this festival. You should go play in this club or, you should go be on this radio station. And it's like, yeah, but but <laughs> if Drake samples something jazz tomorrow, he becomes the biggest jazz artist in the world and everybody will pretend that they've been into it the whole time. <laughs> so it's kind of like, and that's not a diss to him. It's just yeah. kind of like, how how do I get to the point where jazz is just one of the adjectives used to describe what I do instead of instead of being the foundation of what everybody bases me off? And that that was really the inspiration behind the track. I was just over. <laughs> I, I completely hear you. And sometimes you say a certain genre and then people go, oh, that means there's going to be you're going to sell under 250 tickets, but everybody's going to want to sit down or it's going to be all these things that is 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 honestly just limiting. It can really leave you only working in certain clubs and working in certain settings. And I can understand why an artist with your breath wants to expand that further and i think you certainly have on this record love quantum we've been playing two tunes off this record theo uh throughout the day we've been playing the tune something uh which is the tune i was drawn to i'm the music director and i just love the 
the brushwork. I love the vocals. I love the trumpet. It's it's a beautiful piece. And then it seems like our evening DJs, Christian um, and Justice in particular, have been very partial to the Jill Scott tune, which always sounds great in the evening. So those are the two uh, that we've been spinning. I want to play one more tune uh, for this just in today. If you could add one more tune from your album into the mix today, what song would you suggest we play? Oh, uh, let me see. Let me pull it up. Let me see. I would say, why don't we add She's Bad with Wycliffe Jones. Okay, now this is the one. This one really gets the party started, and I had the joy of seeing you on your Instagram learn that you can say the F word, which you can't say on American radio, but I heard you learn that you can say the F word while partying in Rotterdam. Uh, and, and- well, I, didn't, I didn't say it. He said, <laughs> he said, he said something. Somehow we we shouted out Snoop Dogg. He's yeah. got that line, Snoop Dogg, mother. And then I I backed away from the mic. He's like, No, nah, you can say it. I was like, Well, you can say it. And, you know, we was just having fun. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was a lot of fun. It's a cool song. It well, it is a really cool song, and I love what Wyclef does on it. Now, this is not your first time collaborating with Wyclef, right? He's on your previous record as well. Hmm. And we've done a, a lot of writing together. I may or may not be producing and writing his next uh, record, you know, <laughs> off the record. <laughs> Understood. Well, let's get into this. This closes the album Love Quantum. This is She's Bad featuring Wyclef Jean from Theo Croker. You're tuned into Jazz 88, and I'm hanging out with Theo Croker, fantastic trumpet player who recently released the album Love Quantum. And uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, Casa Overall, who makes an appearance on your album, is a friend of the station, and I had the joy of seeing recently uh, playing in town. One thing that I find uh, similar on both of your recorded works is this use of a lot of sort of arrangemental things that come to my mind a little bit more from the hip-hop world. Drums kind of abruptly stopping and starting, which, you know, happens in more, you know, more older jazz music as well, but it's something that stands out to me as being somewhat mixing board inspired, but it's becoming a really beautiful part of albums from Casa overall albums from you. And clearly you've been raised in a world where it's, you're not like it's, it's not buckshot LaFunk in the sense that I feel like you aren't like a grown man who's going, maybe I should add a little bit of hip hop. It's something you've presumably come up with your whole life. When you're using these production techniques, composition techniques that seem to come more from hip hop, how does that work when you're doing that in the studio or in a live setting? I mean, honestly, it's just the way it's, it, it really stems from, honestly, it really stems from how I like to hear music myself. Like, I mean, since, since I was a teenager with the car, I've been turning up the bass and, and, and treble and, and hollowing out the midsection to, to make, you know, I've been listening to John Coltrane's love Supreme with two twelve speakers in the trunk <laughs> turned up all the way with the bass. So <laughs> I like it booming. Um, you know, I like the dreaded DI bass effect <laughs> that became so shunned in the nineties by a group of people. Um, I like my records with some, some bottom on them. Um, so it was really just like, you know, why is it, why is it in a way, if, I, if I'm going to use the word jazz, why is it, it was just a, me questioning the whole practice of why can't I incorporate all the other genres and all the other techniques that you can use when you're making all these other styles of music into into this acoustic music why does it have to be acoustic why does it have to be so thin um you know why why can't the drums start and stop why can't it knock yeah um why can't it slap 
And um, to me, that's just if you're not taking advantage of those and you're being and, and, and you're not attempting to be a traditionalist, um, then you're kind of missing out on being present and being modern. Well, nobody would accuse you of missing out on being modern, and it goes way more than the drum production. You you have a sound that's at the vanguard of so many things. And I, I do appreciate you you mentioning this thing about, like, why do we have to do it this way? Why do we have to stay true to this acoustic thing? Being in my job, I, I thumb through a ton of jazz CDs every single day trying to find the right stuff to add for this station. And honestly, sometimes I just think, like, why does the photo always have to be in front of a mixing board? Why does the album cover always have to look a certain way? Like these are rules that that uh, hip hop musicians, rock musicians, EDM musicians, electronic musicians have willfully broken for years. Why? Why in this particular genre is everybody so loyal to like, you know, got to direct a two track and and, and and all these things? Your your records are a breath of fresh air, and you're not alone. In providing a breath of fresh air, it's artists like yourself and Casa Overall, Makai McRaven, Kamasi Washington, and there's many more that make me excited to be working in this space and make me excited to be celebrating this music. And I want to be able to shine a light on some of the artists that you've been into. I'm a big fan of your title playlist, which I think is called "Not Your Dad's Jazz," um, and I've I've given yeah. <laughs> I've given that a spin. Uh, but I'd love to play some of your recommendations uh, today on this. Just in, are there some artists that have recently released work that's really inspiring you? In the jazz room or jazzy room. Oh, that's a little trickier. I would have to think. I mean, there's this artist named B.B. Borley. Okay. Who's a great singer, great lyricist. She wrote, I think she wrote a lot of Rihanna's hits. I mean, her album was so jazzy, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like, just so textural and so beautiful. It really, it really inspired me and, and left me, kind of left me in tears. The other album that did that was, um, I'm trying to remember how to say her name correctly, Nala Shapiro, I think. Okay. Um, and she she had this album called Space. Um, and it's just it's amazing. I really it really inspired me. It actually it was the first it was the first person um, I heard that made me. Uh, I'm trying to find it. That made me um, made me think. I would love for this person to produce an album of mine. Uh, like I would love to just go in the studio and, and do what they think I should do, um, which is very rare for me <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to give up, you know, the direction of anything. Um, yeah. Nala Sinefro oh, is Sinefro. her name. Yeah. Her album blew me away. Space 1.8. It blew me away. Um, and it was so beautiful and so textural and so gorgeous and, and just so, such a great blend of electronics and acoustics. Um, it really felt otherworldly, but accessible. Um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I love everything Nate Smith does. Oh man. Also. Yeah. Nate's it was weird. Right. When I got uh, into this gig, the first three people I interviewed were uh, drummer band leaders. I did Nate Smith, Casa Overall and Makai McRaven in like the first couple weeks they were all coming through Minneapolis and I was lucky enough to interview them all. Uh, Nate Smith, uh, this is actually an, an interesting thing. I also love what Nate Smith does. I was speaking with Nate about the fact that it seems like um, drummers are kind of uniquely positioned at this moment to, to integrate technology because a lot of times it's something they've done on gigs and maybe they've had the Rolland right next to them and use that to trigger samples and things like that. Uh, and 
you know, I'm, I'm sure there's trumpet players who, who stand out in that realm as well. But you you seem like an artist who lets the, the songs win and fits the trumpet in where it should fit in. But it doesn't, you know, not every track screams, I'm a trumpet player. Watch me hit this high note and hold it, you know. <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> um, to me, that's... Um... I mean, if I just wanted to, if I just wanted to make records that showed everybody that I was an amazing trumpet player, I would just record my live shows and release. Right. And um, and I would just go do that. I just think that's been done. I think that's been done and done and done and done. And I think the master of it, I think it all really, the master of one of the masters. I mean, Ambrose Akinusery is a great trumpet player, and it's great to listen to his albums and hear how he pushes the boundaries of the trumpet. Marquise Hill is wonderful to hear how he pushes the boundaries of the trumpet harmonic uh, uh, um, compositionally and everything and with his textures. Um, and then there's cats like Jonathan Finlayson, who's an amazing trumpet player um, that, that, that should be celebrated more. Um, people don't listen. Only musicians listen to music to, to, to gauge the musicality of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, a long time ago, uh, I decided I wasn't going to make albums for musicians. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't going to dumb down the musicality of it. Yeah. But I wanted to, you know, to coerce listeners into a world that may seem may seem intimidating, but is actually quite comforting and quite melodic. So that's really always been my goal when I make a record. I have, you know, deleted tracks and takes where it's too flashy. Sure. And uh, gone in and did it again, and just be like, "No, I didn't play beautifully. Ah. We have to take. I need. We need to play beautifully as beautifully as possible uh, to really make this work." And and that's and I'm I'm sticking by that because again, you you know, you can come see me live, and I can I can I can hold my own with anybody. So. Right. <laughs> but on a record, I don't need to do that. Let's play a tune. Uh, this one, Jill Scott, which we love playing. Two uh, B We. And I'd like to ask a little bit about, uh, you know, collaborating with an artist as as big and influential as Jill Scott. What was like? What was it like to connect with her on this tune? Oh man, well you know we we communicated back and forth during the pandemic. Through uh, we started off in the Twitter DMs, and then we um, we graduated to text messaging. And then I was like, I have a song that I wrote for you, and I knew when I wrote it and recorded it was completely done recording everything that that um it was for her i sent it to her and then she responded like we need to get on the phone and talk and i was like okay that either means you love it or you, you about to give me some like master soldier or something and she i remember she told me she was like nobody ever sends me something so complete so composed mm so ethereal so cinematic and that was the goal i was like man i really want to make like it's a movie scene featuring jill scott sure after that we just started talking and we, we became we actually were, were very connected um spiritually especially in how we how we make music and how we how we use it as a tool uh both both as healing for ourselves and others and it really just it we really just hit it off and um she said she loved it. She said, give me some time to write to it. She said, in the month of March, I'm, I'm going to hit you up and I want you to come and I'll record the vocals. And she did. She hit me up on a Sunday and told me to come to Nashville on a Tuesday. And I did. I didn't know 
no time, no location, nothing. I just flew to Nashville where my family's from, crazy enough. Doc is from Nashville, Doc Cheatham. And, and um, I flew there. I visited his grave and I checked into a hotel and I just waited. <laughs> and then um, sometime around five in the afternoon or six in the afternoon evening, she texted me an address and was like, I'll be there at eight. And we went and did it. It was it was amazing. I mean, her energy is so beautiful and her her creative output is prolific. Right. Nonstop. I mean, we recorded that track in under 30 minutes and uh, I pl also played along with her um, the 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 ad lib trumpet stuff. And then um, and then we proceeded to freestyle and pretty much come up with a whole bunch of other stuff over things that I had, things that she was working on. The rest of the time we were in the studio, we just kept creating for the sake of creating, um, not necessarily on tape, but but just, you know, she could go into these different characters. She's a very, very prolific storyteller. Um, and at times it's hard to tell if she's telling you a story or if she's telling you, if she's playing a character or if she's telling you a story. <laughs> Because you can't tell sometimes she gets she goes she just goes so deep into it, um, so like that was such a beautiful experience and it really, you know, I I was I was informed by her that she's actually a fan of my trumpet playing and oh, music, wow. which I I didn't know. She was like, no, we listened to you. Like she invited me to her home and made me some food, and I met some of her family, and she went over to the iPod and turned it on, and my album was was playing escape velocity and she's like no we listen to you like almost every day when we're home i'm like this is this is crazy like they were happy to meet me i was like this is this is too much it was yeah i was kind of in awe for days like wow jill scott like really oh i'm not in the netherlands jill scott really likes my playing <laughs> really likes everything and and to you know it was it was a great build on you know, the same thing happened during the pandemic with Wycliffe. He discovered my music, reached out to me. We started talking on the phone and I would end these phone conversations with, with, with Wycliffe. And I'm like, I just got, I just got off the phone with the legend yeah. like, who was like telling me I'm the one he's been looking for, <laughs> you know? And it's like, no. Jill Scott's the same way. So it's like to be, to get this, you know, with Dee Dee and Wycliffe and, and Jill Scott to get this, I don't want to say stamp of approval, but to get this like affirmation right. from these legends and people that I grew up admiring their creativity, admiring their voice. I mean, Wyclef and Jill Scott are such a part of my musical DNA just because of the generation I grew up in. Yep. You could not not hear those songs. Golden is a part of, is a soundtrack to my life. The uh, Wyclef's The Carnival is a soundtrack to my life. There's no, uh, to my upbringing, there's no, it's just crazy to then be on the phone with them and you hear their voice. You're like, wait a minute. This is like, it's triggering my childhood. It's triggering, you know, it's triggering hearing this music when I was 11, 13, 9, 14, 15. And, and it's just really like, it's just an affirmation. Like, wow, being myself and, and being true to my creativity and creative voice is what has actually gotten me. Wow, I can I can only imagine that the you know the feather in the cap is getting the the stamp of approval from Sean McPherson from Jazz eighty eight alongside these <laughs> legends. Just going, I appreciate that affirmation as well on the same level. <laughs> uh, you, you're doing incredible stuff, and we're so lucky to both get uh, recommendations of other music, uh, and also to get 
uh, to play some of your music, and it's, it's been a real honor to talk to you, Theo. I got the honor of listening to your Jazz Night in America episode where Chris McBride was really running through um, your career, and it's clear that from a very young age, um, your ability to carve out the right situation for yourself, figure out where you need to be to go to that next step. And as you, I'm sure, well know, and you even mentioned when we were talking a little bit about um, being black in America, you well know that to keep those honors that you get and to keep landing the gigs and to stay stay connected with these things, you've showed an inc- incredible amount of perseverance from a young age, um, getting into the right high school, getting into the right situations, getting your career going in China. Um, for young musicians who can hit those roadblocks, who can move to a town and not be landing enough work or have to fall back on a day job and not know the next thing that's happening for them, do you have any words of advice for people who are trying to be on your path, but like everybody, they hit some uphill moments? Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, the first piece of advice everybody should know is for every for every yes and for every win that I received, there was at least nine losses and nine no's. For every door I opened, there was a there was a mansion full of doors that would not open. And um, and people that have told me no for years uh, that one day said yes, you know, had to just sometimes the person saying yes and putting me on has said no multiple times for no reason yeah. beyond you know, unbeknownst to me. So I would never take a no or, or um, a closed door as a reason to stop. Now it is, it is a, it is always a lesson. Every no was a lesson in understanding. Um, but what I came, what I came to understand later or, or in the present is that, a lot of the no's or opportunities I thought that I wasn't good enough for or that I didn't get actually were just not the right path and not the right opportunity. Um, and, you know, if, if certain things had worked out in New York, I would have never gone to China. If I had never gone to China, I would have never done all the amazing things I did there. And Dee Dee Bridgewater, I would have never met her. Right. And I would have never been been brought to Sony and I would have never toured the world with Didi and I would have no name in Europe. You know, I would be in New York, you know, playing $150 gigs still. Uh, <laughs> I would be a great trumpet player and right. to other trumpet players and musicians, but my music might not have reached people the same way. So it's really when I look, it's it's easy to look back on it and see how all those steps or even what seems as missteps were actually correct. Um, and it's important to trust your vision, but but you know, make sure you're trusting your vision, not your ego or 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 your or the desire for what you want to achieve that feeds your ego and to to be open and willing to change and modify and advance and practice and grow. Because that's something I've always done. I've always grown. I've always practiced. I've always taken a no as as something else to to learn and investigate and continue to expand upon. And it's it's that resilience that gets me where got me where I am and continues to get me where I go. Um, yeah, that's that's <laughs> probably my best advice. That's and good you advice. Really need to be, you you need to aim to be the the best steward of um of this art form that you can be you know um and to not compare yourself to other people because other people's destiny is not your destiny we're all built different we're all meant for different things um you will never succeed chasing what someone else has 
I like your advice. I love your spirit. And we love the album, Love Quantum. Theo, I appreciate you taking time to hang out with Jazz88. Congratulations on the release. Right now, it looks like there's no dates uh, coming up in Minnesota. Do you know if that'll change at any point? Do you know if you're going to be doing a North American tour or is uh, unclear at the moment? I would love to manifest a North. I have never toured the States. I've done little stints and little shows, but I have never toured the States. So I would love for that to manifest. Um, So everybody out there listening, you know, if you want me where you are, you just simply need to let whatever venue or club know, or if, you know, whoever's listening that books these things, you know, what do you, you know, get me, get me wild, get me wild. I'm affordable. <laughs> <laughs> well, Theo, I don't think that time will last very long because you are wildly talented. We can't wait to see you in North America, but thank you for this great release, Love Quantum, and thanks for t- spending time with Jazz 88. Thank you so much, Sean. Bless.